Welcome. Really good to be here. As you know, we uh, had a week of press. We mentioned this morning already, um, a couple of weeks or so ago. And it was good, wasn't it? It was good. Yes, it was. And so thank you to all of you who used your creativity and your skill to make that space so engaging. I know I found it just really helpful. I really enjoyed being up there. Um, and I know that many of you felt the same. It was really good to see people coming all hours of the day for that week to spend time engaging in prayer. And there was a real sense of, um, well, a real buzz and sense of excitement I felt last, last, uh, well, during that week, so a week or so ago. Um, and that was really good. So again, thank you to everyone that took part. And well done for raising, rising to the challenge and engaging so well during that time. But of course, the fact that we've finished our week of prayer um, doesn't mean that we've finished praying. And praying for a week in a creative space like we had upstairs, praying alongside everybody else for that time, that's one thing. Keeping going day by day with all the pressures of daily life, that's not so easy as it always, but that's what we must do. So my encouragement this morning, what I'm going to be speaking about, is to keep going. Let's persevere in prayer. And of course, there are lots of reasons why we find it hard, aren't there? Sometimes it seems like answers are a long time in coming, and we just get weary of keeping going. Sometimes I think it just feels like, is there anybody actually listening? Sometimes I think we feel... Wouldn't our time be more productively spent if we were actually doing something? And of course, we have an enemy who will actively encourage these kind of thoughts. An enemy who will actively try and find ways to discourage us and distract us. But we've got to learn to press on through. And these experiences aren't unique to us, of course they're not. Throughout the Bible, we'll find loads of examples of people who had to wait a long time for answers to their prayers. Think too of the countless millions of Christians that have been praying the Lord's Prayer over the last 2,000 years. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And still we haven't seen that answered in its completeness, have we? So we're not alone, but we've got to follow the examples of those who have gone before and keep going. A few weeks ago, Nathan quoted John Stott who said this, We therefore call on all Christians to pray for a visitation of God that all his fruit may appear in all his people and all his gifts enrich the church. Only then will we be a fit instrument in his hands that the whole earth may hear his voice. We want that visitation from God, don't we? We want to see his fruit appear amongst us. So let's pray until we see an answer. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see his will done. We want to see people respond to the good news of the gospel, to be set free, to be healed, to know the presence of God amongst us. And ultimately, of course, we want to see Jesus come again. Jesus said we should always pray and not lose heart. So again, let's do just that. So with all that in mind, we're going to look at a passage from Thessalonians this morning. We're going to look at Thessalonians chapter 5, a passage where Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing. Now, I, was going to, I wanted really to give a bit of, a, of an introduction to the letter, but time's pressing, so I'm just going to give a very abbreviated version. Basically, on Paul's second missionary journey, he traveled up 
um, through Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and then across into Greece. And there he went to Thessalonica. And over just the course of a couple of months, and, um, he established a church there. But some of the Jews were jealous. You might recall from our series last summer. And they incited a riot, and uh, that resulted in Paul and Silas having to get out in a hurry. And after that, they went south, down through Greece, into Corinth. And it was after receiving a report back from Timothy, who had gone up to Thessalonica, um, he came back down to Corinth and spoke with Paul and updated him on the situation there. And after that, Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonian church. I think it's really good for us to know something of the context of what we're reading, um, because it helps us to better understand what's um, being written. And in this case, I suppose the point that I particularly want to draw out is that Paul was writing to real people in a real historical context facing real issues. In other words, they were very much like us. And the instructions we're about to read weren't abstract ideas. They're not just sort of um, lofty ideals, unattainable things. These are written by Paul to the church because he loved the church and he wanted it to flourish. And so I want us to receive the words that we read in that spirit as they were addressed, as if they were addressed to us. Okay, so the passage we're going to look at this morning is right at the end of the letter that um, Paul wrote, where he's just putting down some final instructions. So I'm going to read Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 to 24, um, but I'm going to focus particularly on verses 16 to 22. Okay, so this is chapter 5, verses 14 to 24. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And we're going to start with that first triplet of instruction. Rejoice always, pray ceaselessly, always give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, obviously, he's not saying that we should be praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When Paul says that we should always be rejoicing, always be praying, always giving thanks, what he's saying is that these things should characterize our lives. Joy, prayer, thankfulness. These things should be as natural to us and as much a part of our daily life as breathing. 
Now, Matt, Matt spoke last week about the importance of thankfulness, and he actually quoted the verse we're looking at this morning. We should be the happiest people on earth, not just because we've got lots to be happy and thankful about, but because the more these things characterize our lives, the more we will start to reflect the character of God himself. Think for a moment about what God was like in eternity. What was he doing? Well, we know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were living together in perfect community. They loved each other. They enjoyed each other. So I think it's fair to say they, they rejoiced in each other's presence. They talked to each other. And what is prayer if it's not about communication? And surely they thanked each other for their love and goodness. Now, is that unreasonable speculation? Well, I don't think so. God's told him that we are made in his image. Now, we know that we are pale, distorted reflections of that image, but even so, to some degree, we do still have the image of God, our maker, in us. So think then about human relationships. Think about some of the best times you've enjoyed with somebody else. Now, you probably weren't talking all the time, but weren't all these elements present? Joy, communication, thankfulness. It's God's will for us as his image bearers that we reflect him and his glory. And even at the level of human relationships, we rejoice with each other. And as we um, communicate positively uh, with each other and we give thanks, we start to do that. But of course, this passage isn't talking about our um, human relationships. It's talking about our engagement with God. And what God's saying is, I want you to enter in and to enjoy relationship with me, even as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy relationship with each other. God is calling us to come deeper. And that's so important. As we're thinking about prayer, as we're seeking God's kingdom, as we ask God for more power to be manifest amongst us, all these sorts of things, we must never lose sight of the fact that Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could come without fear into the presence of our Father as sons and daughters. You see, restored relationship is at the heart of what God wants. So when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us to continually rejoice, to give thanks, to pray, this isn't a duty that God is laying on us, a burden that we need to carry. This is a high calling. This is an invitation for us to draw into and enjoy dwelling in the presence of our Father. Dwelling, basking in God's presence. Now I can, I feel I can kind of imagine doing that one day in glory, and I long for that time. But here and now, I find it harder to know what this looks like. And the truth is, I don't know how far along that road to knowing God and enjoying his presence I can expect to walk in this life. For me, I feel if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, then I would be content. Perhaps some of you experience more than that already. But one thing I am sure of is that wherever we are, we can go deeper now, we look back through the Bible, we see examples of people that were evidently in close relationship with God. We read of Enoch, who walked with God. God spoke to Moses as he spoke to a man, as a man speaks to a friend. David um, had a very close relationship with God. And there were many others as well. Um, so it's clearly it was possible, but these were just a few examples, weren't they? 
In the New Testament, there were more. Think of the disciples. They actually had the privilege of walking with God in the flesh. And wouldn't that have been amazing? And we might regret that uh, in this life, at least, we aren't going to get to walk with God like that. But you know, actually, we shouldn't. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples. They were upset because Jesus was going to go away. And he told them this. He said, it's better for you that I go away. I say this because when I go away, I will send the helper to you. It's better for you that I go. He was saying that having the Holy Spirit with us would be even better than him staying with us. And we've been given the Holy Spirit. So can we know a more intimate relationship with God than even the disciples enjoyed with Jesus? That's what it looks like. How else can we interpret that even better? Now, I'm guessing that not many of us would describe that as our current experience, but we're being called to go deeper. Last year, I think, sometime, Felix talked to us um, uh, from Ezekiel about the river that flowed from the temple. And his, in, his, in this vision, Ezekiel and the angel walked into this river, first up to their ankles, and then up to their knees, and then up to their waist. And eventually, the river was too deep for them to walk in. And his call to us then was, let's go deeper. And that's a call I want to reiterate today. And how do we do that? Well, I believe, in part at least, this is about discipline. Now, great Christians of the past talked about practicing the presence of God. It's something that we have to do. And here I think Paul is telling us something of what that is that we have to do. We must make it a habit, develop a lifestyle, of rejoicing in God, praying to him, giving thanks to him. I've been preparing this message over the last few weeks. I've been trying to practice doing that myself, and I have to say that I haven't found it easy. I've perhaps seen a little progress, but there's clearly a need for perseverance. You know, I had a friend once who was practicing for an advanced driving um, exam in the police, And apparently one of the things he had to do to practice was as he was driving around, he had to give an out loud running commentary on everything that he saw. Um, And that was very hard work and very unnatural. I mean, you can imagine doing that yourself. But over time, it became a habit. And after that, even when he wasn't speaking out loud, he was observing um, at a much higher level. So I've been trying to do something similar. What can I see that I can give thanks for? What's happening that I can turn into a prayer? You know, one of the zones at the, uh, the prayer week, um, there was a box of cards um, with everyday objects in it. So like things like a match, a stone, a button. And each of these objects was reminding us of something. Uh, so we are to be a light to the world. Jesus is our rock. We are fastened to God. And they were great. And that made me think, what are some of the things that I see every day that I could use as triggers? So maybe when I see a light, I can thank God that he sent his son to be a light in this world. And I can pray that I will also be a light. We often see crosses, don't we? Well, that's, that's an easy one. What about birds and flowers? Well, we can thank our Father that even as he clothes and feeds them, so he provides for us. And like the driving practice, it, this feels false and artificial. It does. I, I know. I've tried. And I'm not very good at it. But it's about trying to develop a new habit And that is hard, and it takes time. And if you want to help me, you can encourage me by asking me how it's going. 
See, one of the things that Paul is doing in these verses, he's, he's calling us to a life of conscious closeness and union with God. See, when we see prayer sandwiched between joy on the one side and thankfulness on the other, I think we can see that at its heart, prayer is about relating to, about connecting with, and enjoying and delighting in our Father in heaven. It's about having a heart and mind filled with the consciousness of God's presence. It's about abiding in God. In John 15, Jesus said, He is the vine. And when we become his disciples, we are grafted into the vine. When you graft a, plant, a, a, a branch into a, a, a plant, it becomes one with it. The life-giving sap of the plant from the roots rises up into the branch. And so it is with us. As we are grafted into God, his life flows through us. See, in this context of speaking about the vine, Jesus says we should abide in him. And I don't think that's a passive thing. See, our flesh rebels against that, and we have to fight against the flesh. And what I've been describing just now is a part of the process of actively abiding. And I need to say, and I know we keep coming back to this, but this is really important. We don't do this, this, this work, if you like, of actively abiding so that we can become more acceptable to our Father. He loves us unconditionally. We've been seeing that this morning. How great is the Father's love for us. But what does Jesus say at the end of this passage? He says, I tell you these things so that your, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So who's the beneficiary? It's us. We don't do these things to earn favor with God, but we do it that our joy may be complete. God's joy is already complete. He loves us completely. We do these things for our benefit. And we need to remember that because the process of abiding and all that it entails will most likely take time and effort and discipline. And I think sometimes it'll mean pressing on even when it seems like it's a waste of time. But the more we do it, the more we develop prayer and alongside that joy and thankfulness, the more we cultivate these things as a lifestyle not only will we more reflect the nature of God, but the deeper we will go into his presence, the more our joy will be complete. And isn't that worth something? Isn't that something worth going for? So when we read Paul's instruction to pray without ceasing, I think that this relational aspect of prayer is one of the primary ways to understand it. At least I think it's a very good place to start. But of course, there is more to it than that. Going back into John 15, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So abiding is coming first, but then he says that we should ask. And just before this, he says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding comes first, then asking. <clears throat> abiding first, then fruitfulness. So in this context, then, we can read Paul's instruction a second way, and that is that we should ask for specific things and keep asking until those prayers are answered. So, okay, so we start to look at this, this particular bit then. I want to start by zooming right out and looking at the really big picture. So we're going to look at the whole timeline of history. So right over here, we have creation. 
God made the earth and put Adam and Eve on it. And they lived in God's presence and everything was good. And then Satan tempted them and they rebelled against God and they were driven from the garden away from God's presence. And Satan was given a degree of authority on the earth and he brought death and destruction to everything that God had made so good. So then from here, time passed. And then right here in the middle of history, this is when Jesus came into the world. And for three years, he spent his time freeing the captives, healing the sick, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Before, at the end of that three years, he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And through his death and his resurrection there, he won the decisive victory over sin over death, and over all the works of Satan. He came to bring reconciliation of man to God and restoration of the earth from the destruction of the enemy. And he demonstrated that in his life. He sealed it with his death and his resurrection. So that's right here at the center. And over at this end, then, we have Jesus' return, that amazing day when he will come again in glory, that day when Jesus comes and everything is made new, the day when everything is restored, when his kingdom extends to every corner of the universe. And we're here, about here, between Jesus' death here on the cross and his second coming over here. We're 2,000 years nearer to that time than the Thessalonian church were, uh, but like them, we're still looking forward to that day. And that day will come, but it hasn't come yet. And in the meantime, we've got work to do. See, the victory has been won, but the restoration is not yet complete. The outcome is assured, but there is fighting still to be done. In Ephesians, Paul reminds us of, uh, or lists some of our spiritual armor. At the end of that, he lists some weapons. So he tells us, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So one of the primary weapons we have in this fight is persistent prayer. And one of our key prayers is let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Now we know some of the marks of the kingdom, don't we? Forgiveness for sin and restoration to the Father, freedom from bondage, healing for the sick, justice for the oppressed, peace and righteousness. When we pray for these things, we know we are praying in the will of the Father, and he will answer us. And we know the work won't be complete until Jesus comes again. So we must keep praying without ceasing until either we die or Jesus comes again. Keep praying at all times. Keep alert with all perseverance. So that's looking at prayer, uh, persevering prayer in a very broad context. But what does that look like closer up? What does that look like for us? Well, the overall war that we are engaged in is made of a lot of smaller battles. And these are the things that you and I are involved with day to day. The things that we as a church are involved with. The things that God specifically lays on our heart to pray for. And during the week of prayer, we saw examples of some of those things. And I'm not um, trying to prioritize anything, but these are just some of the things that were um, uh, there during that week of prayer. So, um, pray that some of the parents attending Little Lights would become Christians. Pray for family members that aren't yet Christians. 
pray for financial resources, that we'll be able to do all the things here that we feel that God is calling us to. Pray for healing for various people. Pray that some of the ministries that we're involved with in justice and help for the poor might be able to grow. Pray for ourselves, that we would walk in freedom from the things that bind us. And it was great to pray for those things during that week. But the challenge now is to keep going. Some of those answers might come quickly. Others might take years. You know, there's no point getting bogged down in the question of why doesn't God answer it quicker? We've got to trust that God knows best. And we've got to get on with what we've been told to do. And that is to pray and to keep on praying until we see the answer. Then move on to the next thing and keep on praying for that. We want to see God move in power in our lives, don't we? We want to see him moving in our church, in our community. We want to see the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin. We want to see the sick supernaturally healed. We want to see people set free. We want God's fire to fall on us. So let's persevere in prayer. Let's learn what it means to pray without ceasing. So moving on then to the next bit, it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. It's a fearful thought that we could even do that, isn't it? But clearly Paul is writing this because we can. Now the image here, of course, is of of water being poured on a fire to put it out. And I expect many of you have at some point had a campfire. And as good, responsible people, you've poured water on it at the end of the evening. And I don't know about you, but I, I always put off doing that as long as I can. Because when you pour the water on, what was alive and vibrant and exciting becomes lifeless and dull. What was giving warmth becomes cold. What was giving light becomes dark. What was drawing people and holding them together is gone. And you all turn away and you walk out into the night. And that's sad. And that's just a campfire. How much worse if the fire of the Holy Spirit in us as individuals, us as a church, is allowed to die down or even be extinguished. We want this beacon to blaze. We want the transforming light of Jesus to shine brightly. We don't want a cold, dead and lifeless religion. We want life and light and vitality. So how do we avoid quenching the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look again at the context. We look back and we see that triplet. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. See, as we do these things, we face ourselves firmly towards our God and Father, the source of our life, our provider of all that we need. As we do these things, we align ourselves with him. We draw closer into his presence. As we do these things, we are grafted ever closer into the vine and the life-giving sap of the Holy Spirit is able to flow into us and through us. So we quench the Spirit by neglecting these things. Conversely, we welcome the Spirit as we, and make ourselves open to him as we make those things part of our lives. If we look forward into the next bit, we see another clue as we see, do not despise prophecy. We quench the spirit as we downplay or fail to give room for or even despise the gifts that he gives. See, we want the fire to burn brightly. We want to see God moving in supernatural power by us, by the Holy Spirit. So let's dwell in God's presence. Let's invite his spirit to come. 
Let's welcome him and embrace his gifts and his works. So which then brings us to prophecy. It says here, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Now we know that prophecy is just one of the gifts of the Spirit. So the fact that Paul singled this one out suggests that there was some specific issue um, that he was addressing here. For some reason, the Thessalonian church had backed off using this gift, and the context suggests that perhaps they'd had a bad experience. But Paul is saying, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yes, there are going to be imperfections and mistakes, so don't take every prophecy at face value. Test them. Be discerning. But don't ignore them. Hold on to those that are judged to be good. And we can take that instruction for ourselves, must take that instruction for ourselves, for prophecy, but also more broadly for all the gifts and workings of the Spirit. See, as we ask the Holy Spirit to work amongst us, as we try and exercise the gifts of the Spirit, we are going to make mistakes. Not all prophetic words and words of knowledge are going to be accurate. And the same could be said of some of what we say in our sermons. Again, tongues, interpretations. Not everyone that we pray for is going to be healed. And you get the picture. The Holy Spirit is perfect, but we're not. And sometimes those imperfections will show through. But the lesson we take from that shouldn't be that we back off to say we tried that and it didn't work, so we're not going to try it again. We need to carry on. Yes, we need to be discerning. Yes, we need to try and learn from our mistakes. But let's hold on to what is good and not quench the spirit by giving up. Finally and briefly then, abstain from every form of evil. Well, that doesn't need much explanation, does it? But it doesn't mean it's not important. It's the Holy Spirit that we want to come and be amongst us and move amongst us. And we welcome him as we seek to live holy lives. We were reminded last week, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. So as he who called us is holy, we too should be holy in all our conduct. This is part of us abiding in the vine. Living holy lives is a natural consequence of being in God's presence, but it also facilitates our union with him. But none of us here want a cold, dead and empty religion. We want the life. We want the fire. We want the presence and the power of God. We want the joy of being filled with him. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see people healed, to see them set free, to see peace, righteousness, and justice here on this earth. We want to see Jesus come again and for us to be with him. And one of the key ways we'll get to see these things is to learn to dwell continually in God's presence, to be immersed in him, to be intoxicated by him, and to pray. And so keep on praying. So wherever you judge yourself to be now, why don't you resolve to go deeper? Go further. Keep pressing on. And may our lives be characterized by joy, by prayer, by thankfulness as we dwell in our Father's presence and look to see his kingdom come.